really tearing him to pieces. And he felt so down. And then he thought to himself, I'm going to sit down and write him a real sharp letter back, even more strong, and sort him out. And uh, just before he, he did, he actually wrote the letter, spent several hours writing it. And just before he sent it off, he spoke to one of his senior advisors, a man who was very mature in the faith. And he said, uh, here's what's happened and here's what I'm going to answer. And this mature man of God said, Brian, tear it up and burn it. Or tear it up or burn it, he said. You're a bigger man than this. You're a bigger man than this. Well, God wants us to be big-hearted people, ready to forgive, not easily knocked off course by offense. I come from a country, Ireland, which has been full of offense, bitterness, a lot of killings, thousands wounded, 40 years of trouble. And the bitterness and the offense were so horrible. But I've also seen former RUC police man who was radically saved and, and in the same room there was a former IRA man who had tried for years to kill this policeman and the two of them were in the same prayer meeting together and the policeman looked over and there wasn't that guy who he tried to bring to justice for years and he had also been saved and the two of them went and hugged each other isn't that exciting? God loves reconciliation. And he wants us to increase our expectation for reconciliation. The devil loves division and strife and negativity. And he, he just lo- loves people to speak curses. You know, a lot of people don't realize about the, they're putting a curse on people when they speak negatively against them and try to disenfranchise them and try and take their reputation. But the good news is, Isaiah 54:17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No tongue shall stand that speaks against you. So we need to, yes, do our utmost to reconcile. But if people are out to destroy us and they don't want to listen, then we have to commit them to the Lord and say, We love you and we want to reconcile. But I'll tell you what, I break every curse you've spoken and none of your words will stick. Because as we read last night... Yourself in Numbers 23. Uh, God has spoken blessing that cannot be reversed. Cannot be reversed. So I think we need to believe for big tidal wave of reconciliation, of healing, an increase in our ability to forgive, an uh, increase in our ability for conflict resolution. Amen. Yeah. There's so many unresolved conflicts, even in the family, even in the home. And I think we need to say to people, We appreciate you because words that are not spoken are not really a blessing. But if we tell our wives, our families, we value you. I mean, my wife's sitting here today and I wouldn't be here if she hadn't been the wife she's been. We'll be 50 years married in September. not too many get married when they're seven year old, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't quite that young. But anyway, no, I, I appreciate my wife. Did I ever tell you how I met, how we met? How many would like to hear a love story? <laughs> uh, 
I was really a workaholic when I was very young, in my teens and early 20s. And I had come from a poverty background, so I was working day and night to get out of poverty. Because if you didn't make money to buy food, you starved. And I didn't fancy starving too much. But anyway, uh, I was in the motor business to start with. And eventually I managed to have a showroom in the centre of Belfast, uh, which became very successful. That was before we entered the healthcare field. But I had a brother who was about to get married to a nurse who worked in a hospital called Banbridge. Have anybody heard of Banbridge? <laughs> it's a little town, uh, 40 miles from Belfast. But anyway, my brother said to me, I'm going up to Banbridge to the hospital to bring something to Jean, my my, my wife-to-be. He was about to get married. He said, would you come with me? I said, well, if you wait till I finish at 9 o'clock, I'll close the showroom and I'll drive up with you. So uh, we rode up in my car and he was just going to leave a parcel for Jean and we were going to come back straight home. So I'm sitting there in my car at the nurse's home just beside the hospital and Herbie, my brother, has gone into to give Jean uh, the parcel. And I'm waiting and waiting. It's quite a long time. And then I hear this amazing laughter and shouting of six or seven nurses. And there's like a riot going on in the room inside the car. And next thing happens, they appear, these six or seven nurses, carrying another nurse. And she's kicking and screaming. And they took, took her to the door of my car, opened the door of the car, and flung her in on my knee. That was Evelyn. <laughs> that was how we met. <laughs> Love at first sight. So, cut a long story short, it never stopped. <laughs> what an atmosphere for increase. <laughs> so, uh, it's a rather unusual introduction. How did I get onto that? I don't know. Anyway, I do believe God is a God who wants us to live in an atmosphere for increase. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, don't put this thing off. Look at the fields. There's increase ready to be reaped. Don't say it's going to be four months. Lift your eyes up. Look. And we need to be alert every day. Because there's people who are broken and hurting every day. We touch the lives of many, even in work, every day. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to speak into their lives. Life-given leaders. So don't put it off. The harvest is big. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers in. We need to train. I'm so pleased you have this great work of training people. Skills, many different fields of activity. And we need to empower people who will become people of integrity, who will become people who are, who become people that are persistent and consistent, that will carry on and we can pass over the mantle to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Just like Elijah passed it over to Elisha and Paul passed it over to Timothy, Jesus passed it over to the church. We need to have a mentality, a vision of increase in the future generations. Because if it stops with us, then Christianity dies. I was telling 
Bishop. That a scripture which has challenged me greatly is in Judges 2 verse 10. It says that after the death of Joshua, now Joshua is a mighty man, and he had a wonderful, wonderful testimony and deliverance of so much in his life. And he fought and won battle after battle. But it says there in Judges 2.10, a challenging verse. After the death of Moses and uh, all that generation that lived with him and saw the work of God, it says the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A new generation, for some reason, that didn't pass it on. We must not keep this thing to ourselves. We must have an atmosphere for increase, increase, getting our young people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when I grew up in County Monaghan in the Republic, I was brought up in a very, very traditional Anglican church called Church of Ireland. There was no gospel, nobody ever told us about salvation. There was ritualism. And while they were praying, I was praying for them to quit praying so I could get home. <laughs> and they went through rituals up and down, up and down, up and down. And my mother heard the gospel and came to salvation. And she said to the minister about salvation, he said, you don't need anything, you're okay. As long as you come to your church, you're okay. Well, that's a lie. Because Jesus said you must be born again. But anyway, in that day, there was so much dead tradition and so much ritualism and ceremony that it looked like there was no life anymore. But once we came into relationship with Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, well, when I received the Holy Spirit, that totally transformed my life. As a teenager... As a teenager, somebody brought me to a small meeting. It was totally outside the normal. It was not part of a traditional church. Some of these folks had a hunger to get people filled with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even know what it meant. But I began to read it. And the first night I went forward to receive, I didn't feel one thing. And then I said, I'm going to do something about this. And my best friend said to me, Oh, you'll never receive the Holy Spirit. If you didn't get it then, that's it. You'll never get it. <laughs> but I set myself to fast and pray. Mm-hmm. And I came back. It's just a small group. And I went forward as a teenager. And I was trembling because I didn't like going forward in the front of people. And as they laid hands on me, it was like plugging me into electricity wow. socket. I mean electricity. Mm-hmm. Power saturated me. Fire to the point where I couldn't stop speaking this unknown tongue. And I was literally drunk. I was on the floor. I didn't know how that happened. But they had to carry me out some considerable time later. And I was under the influence for 10 days. I used to drive the tractor on the farm. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking in tongues above the noise of the tractor. And people wondered, who's this foreigner come here? I mean, it was just dynamic. Well, then the power of God would flow to my fingers. I would pray for people and they get healed by the power of God. 
And we need to pass this on. Somebody brought me to that meeting. Somebody had a vision for increase. And that was an atmosphere of prayer. I discovered later people were fasting and praying Mm -hmm. for me and others. And we have to have this vision. The harvest is to be reaped. We cannot assume that somebody else will do it. We have to wake up and say, look, there's people going to go to a lost eternity unless we speak to them. Unless we do something, they will be in hell forever. We've got to take it seriously and have an atmosphere for increase. And then in John chapter 6, you have to read the whole verses 1 to 14 later, but it's the story we all know very well, where Jesus was in the mountain, he was having fellowship uh, there, it tells us in the next verse, perhaps it is, uh, people followed him for the miracles he performed, and it tells us there that he went into a mountain and sat down with his disciples. Now that's Here's the key to life-giving leadership, an intimate relationship with the Father. It's very simple, but it's very powerful. The key to a life-giving relationship is an intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus himself was in the mountain praying. He spent all night in prayer. Every time he had a break, he was away again, waiting. He said, I do nothing except what I hear the Father do. I say nothing, only what I hear him say. He knew he had to be in an intimate relationship. And so, as you read the story on the next verses, it tells you, as they finished the feast and so on, and it tells us later in that chapter how that there was a multitude of people in the desert, and they hadn't had food for days. And uh, Jesus lifted his eyes up in the company, and he saw the people coming. And uh, he was asked the question, what will we do to feed these people? Mm. Philip said, where will we get bread to feed all these people? And then it tells us in that same chapter that they had only five loaves and two fishes. We know it so well. He says, there's nothing here, only five loaves and two fishes, a young lad. But it also says Jesus knew what he would do. Amen. God has a plan. Yes. Before there ever was a problem. Yes. God has a plan. That's right. And so he had a vision for increase. There was an atmosphere of increase because Jesus had been speaking the word to them. Healing had happened. Lives were changed. An atmosphere. If there's any place where there should be expectation is in church. Yeah. If there's any place there should be momentum far greater than any football match. It's in the house of God. There should be a louder shout in the house of God than there is out in the football pitches. Because <laughs> we are in a winning game. Hallelujah. Jesus already won. And so as they began to talk about it, Philip and Andrew, it says, they, they, were, they were keeping the mind on the minimum. They said, how can we make this little bit of food stretch even so everybody can have a little They had little vision. They weren't expecting great increase. And they concluded they hadn't enough money. 200 pennies worth wouldn't buy enough food to feed them. And so they were talking to him for a while and arguing, what are we going to do? We have a crisis. And then Jesus said, 
bring this five loaves and two fish to me, and he prayed over them. And he gave it to the disciples, but he told them to sit down in groups on the ground. So he prepared them for provision. We need to prepare for provision. Prepare to get your answers. And so he didn't feed them himself, but he gave, broke the bread after praying and gave it to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And you know the story how they all eat and were filled and there was 12 baskets filled left over. I mean, from five barley loaves and two small fish. So Jesus created an atmosphere for increase. Amen. Beyond what you could ask or think. You know, we started our first nursing home in 1968. We never had any plans at the very beginning of doing anything more than that. But as we created a model by the grace of God that was an excellent model of care and high standard, years later, we were being asked by the health boards to build more and build more and build more and build more and a vision for increase beyond what we could ever ask. And I believe if we have a vision for excellence as you do have here, and yet people committed and trained to walk in righteousness and integrity, to honor each other, we are going to see increase in every part of our lives. I just want to encourage your faith. It tells us there, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of increase. Isaiah 9 verse 7. Of the increase of his kingdom there will be no end. So the very nature of the kingdom is increase. The, the gospel brings transformation and increase. Everywhere it's allowed to have preeminence. I love what it says in Psalms 115 verse 14. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. The Lord shall increase you. More and more. So he's a God of increase. We need to develop an atmosphere for increase. We heard the scripture quoted last night. 2 Corinthians 9.8 He's able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Jensen Franklin was once asked, are you not depressed because of the number of problems you're having? He was coming through a real valley. And one problem after another of major proportions. And they said, would you not just pull out of this and not take this anymore? He said, no, I'm too blessed to be depressed. (laughs) And I'm too anointed to be disappointed. I think that's good. We are anointed, too anointed to be disappointed. We're too blessed to be distressed. (laughs) So we expect increase on the right hand and the left. Romans 5.20, we know it. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the more the enemy goes to work, the more the grace of God is going to overflow the country. There will be an abound and an increase of righteousness, an increase of forgiveness, an increase of reconciliation, an increase of joining hands and realizing we depend on each other. We cannot survive isolated and separated. We will die if we do that. We've got to unite and come together. That's where the life flows. It's time for increase, understanding and wisdom and patience and forgiveness. 
God wants us to be connected and one within each other. For where there's unity, there's blessing. We know Psalm 133. Wherever brethren dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands it. And when the Lord commands it, the devil can't stop it. No way. He can't stop it. So we need to be developing this kingdom mentality. Increase of the kingdom influence through each one of us. And it tells us there in John chapter 3 verse 30. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but we must decrease. We want to decrease in our own selfish ways to self-crucify the flesh and let the life of Jesus develop big in us. Amen? If the word is big in you, then you're going to win because the word is a winning word. The word. Let the word loose against the devil and he can send nothing against it. The devil's Stopped in his tracks by the word. Because God's word's a creative word. It's a powerful word. So I believe as we increase in the love of God, bitterness and hatred cannot survive. As we increase in joy, sadness has to go. As we increase in faith, fear cannot come. As we increase in unity, division and strife, will not succeed. Let's have an atmosphere or increase in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Increase of the awareness of God, a God's inside awareness, awareness of the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, awareness of the wisdom of God in business, decisions. You know, we had a crisis. We were short of about four million pounds on a, at a particular time of expansion. And our auditors told us, this is one you won't win. We'd had other challenges, but they called me in and they said, this is one you won't win. Uh, our son Philip works with us and uh, we were in a big crisis because funding had been withdrawn after we started to do about five or six big developments on different sites. And uh, for some reason, the funding source said they didn't want to support it anymore. We were already building. So I had a decision to make. Do we actually take the builders off the sites and say, sorry, the funding's been stopped? Or do we continue by faith and meet the deadline of six months to build all of those homes that had to be ready? If we stop, the builders will be pulled off. It'll be in the papers. Our name will be ruined, the existing homes will be destroyed, and we will be completely wiped out. On the other hand, if we continue to build when we know we haven't got the funds, we will be put bankrupt. So we were up against the wall. And in the middle of all that, a phone call came through to our accountant. We were in the office discussing how to solve the problem. Suddenly my phone rings and says, the Irish News from Dublin is on the phone and they're doing a front page article on you tomorrow and they're saying and they named our company Sandown in crisis and they said if you don't make a statement inside 30 minutes they're going to print the story that they assume to be true so at 30 minutes so Philip and I prayed on our knees <laughs> Lord wisdom yep. and 
As we waited, there was a peace came into that room. And I really felt that Philip was agreeing. We are going to make a statement of truth and fact. So I sat down and wrote a statement. We've been developing for so many years. We care for so many people. We have so many staff. We're in the midst of an expansion that's the biggest ever. It's to be finished in six months. We will finish it in six months. We will then have 2,000 staff, and we will finish. And everything is going good. End of statement. Send it off, and they never printed a thing. They didn't want a good news report. <laughs> if it had been a bad report, yes. <laughs> and do you know, through fasting and prayer, God gave us insight to find new funding sources inside a short period. So we never needed to take those builders off the sites. And we had the millions that we were missing and finished it on time. Now, we should have been destroyed. The, the auditors, coopers and librarians said, you cannot continue. This is impossible. At the end of it all, my senior bank manager said, I admire your faith. <laughs> But it was his faith. So I tell you, we had a vision for increase, but the devil is against the vision for increase. He's against businessmen that are set to increase and to create employment and to meet needs and to create future for our children. The devil doesn't like it. But we have Jesus on our side and have God before us who can be against us. Somebody say amen. So we are expecting great increase. Scripture tells us in Jeremiah 30, verse 19, you shall not be small. God wants us to have a big vision. You will not remain small. You will have thanksgiving and praise and glorify the Lord, and they shall not be small, God's people. So I believe with all my heart that we're sitting in a place today where there will be explosive increase. I really do. It's built on the right foundation of integrity, training, commitment to Jesus. And I believe, Apostle Williams, you will be surprised at the explosion of increase. I do believe that with all my heart. And so, we need to be developing this all the time in our spirits. But turning back to the story in John chapter 6, where Jesus was the great life giver in that situation himself. And he showed us some principles, and I'm going to mention them to you. First of all, number one, I referred to it briefly, fellowship with the Father. This is the key principle. It may be simple, but it's powerful. Fellowship with the Father, spending time with the Father, listening to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was up the mountain. Before this crisis ever became visible, Jesus was up the mountain. Yes, he was seeing miracles, he was seeing great things, but he still was up the mountain again, waiting. Fellowship with the Father. First Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, of his son, call to the fellowship of his son. First John 1 verse 3, they said, that which we've seen and heard, we bring to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. We need to develop a great new respect for fellowship with the Father and with each other, and that we will do everything we can possibly do to avoid breakdown of relationships with each other or divisions or strife, because when we're united, we're strong. Working together is the key to increase. Fellowship with the Father. We see this in the book of Acts, Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge of them that being with Christ, being with Jesus. They hadn't the boldness of themselves, but they had boldness because they were in fellowship with the Father. So we become life-giving leaders as we have this mentality. We're living in a day of increase of kingdom. It's the last days. The time is short. We only have a short space. But we are in a time of divine favor and grace. And the country is still open for the gospel. Unless we take it now, doors could be shut, laws could be passed that are restricted. Now we're free. Let's take the opportunity. Don't say it's going to happen in four months. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields of white to harvest. We have the freedom. We have the power to do it. Let's join hands and do it. Through fellowship with the Father. The closer we are to Jesus, the more like him we'll we'll become. The more life-giving power we'll have in us. Number two, focus on others. You notice it says there in John 6 that Jesus lifted his eyes up and saw the people. He had a heart for people. He loves people. He loves you a million times more than you can ever begin to imagine. He loves you. His love for you is so passionate for your family. He loves to heal hurts and brokenness and bring restoration. And so he focused on the people. And it says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. And he didn't just see the multitude from a point of view, I'm going to get a chance to preach to them and share what they must do. But he was thinking, how can I feed them? How can I meet their material needs? How can I turn this crisis into a mighty miracle and feed them in the wilderness right where they are? So Jesus has a vision far bigger than just meeting one area of our needs. He's interested in feeding the family and empowering people to meet the needs of others. We are life-giving leaders because we follow in his steps. So we need to focus on others and look Proverbs 29:18, where there's no vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. If we've no vision in this present time, we have no hope for the future. But if we have vision, we have hope. If we have vision, we have faith. And this is so true. We must continue to sow seeds of faith and love into the lives of other people. 2 Corinthians 5.15 We should no longer live the rest of our lives unto ourselves but unto him who died for us and rose again. You know, the greatest fulfilling life of all is to him. Yes, sometimes it's uncomfortable. We've been in places like Malawi and Rwanda where our lives were dangerous. We even had threats on our lives in Ireland 
we even had really dangerous situations developed in some of the missions. And it's not easy. The flesh doesn't like going out into areas where it's not comfortable. But we have to be willing to inconvenience ourselves at times. Amen? And reach out to other people. So we don't live unto ourselves. I love that verse so much in Second Corinthians 4 verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If our gospel be hid. So we as life-giving leaders, we can turn around, even if we had failures in our lives, even if we had setbacks and very difficult times, we can use that testimony to share what God can do for people who've missed the mark. He's a God of the second chance and the third chance. Amen. And he wants to restore. So focus on others. Let's be people who find the need and meet it. Find the hurt and heal. Number three, pursue potential, not problems. You see, Andrew and Philip were both thinking of the problem. Let's get rid of this. They even, they even said, let's send the multitude away so they can go and buy food. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> Jesus said, no, they need not depart. Feed them where they are. So we need to say, look, there's a way we can meet the needs of these people. We have the potential for increase. So pursue the potential. Jesus didn't highlight the little bread and the little fish. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Jesus said, give them to eat. Give them to eat. And so they were focused on the natural supply but Jesus saw the miracle supply and so we need to believe God for miracles of providing the right people a team for the task as Bishop Jake said we need a team for the task (coughs) so pursue the potential we have amazing potential if we work together. That's why the devil loves to separate people. Because we're a danger to the devil if we're united. That's why we need to never tolerate accepting negative bad reports about anybody. No matter what has happened. Let's look for ways to restore them. Get them out of the ditch and restore them back. I was in, we were in Uganda. We'd held a, a life-giving leaders conference in Kampala. Thousands of leaders, we had a powerful time there. Those people know how to sing. They're mighty. The choirs was amazing. And a pastor came forward to me at the end of the meeting. He wanted to talk to me, a pastor of a very large church. He said to me, I am giving up the ministry. I said, why would you do that? He says, we have too many funerals. He said, I'm overwhelmed. Too many people dying diseases, AIDS, and all kinds of diseases. He said, I'm also suffering with fatigue, and I'm just giving it up. And I said to him, my friend, please wait a minute. Who called you to the ministry? He said, God called me. I said, well, has God released you? He said, no. I said, you're not giving it up. We are going to empower you. And we ministered to him in that conference, and he received new, new, new life. And we were back a year later, 
And he ran to the stage. He says, I'm not the same man, he said. I'm changed. I've new fire, <laughs> new fuel. Amen. You know, I heard a story about a man who had a, a petrol Land Rover, but for some reason he changed it to have fuel. But he never changed the badge on the back. It still said petrol. So he loaned it to his neighbor and forgot to tell him, so his neighbor went and filled it with the wrong fuel. And it just stalled and wouldn't go anywhere. The problem is we are accepting the wrong fuel of negativity, of unbelief. This man, the pastor, he'd never been told there's hope. That God called you and he'll enable you and he'll empower you. And that pastor went from strength to strength, a church of thousands, and they increased, increased, increased. And he delegated, he used the Jethro principle of appointing others. And they began to reach the hurting, the broken, training, college, university, and it just went from strength to strength. See, even what, even, it was worth going to Uganda for that one man. Because the increase that happened, because of that one message that I preached was happened to be on Gideon turning captives into conquerors. And he got new hope and new fire. Amen. So we have potential to lift people's heads, to empower people, to enable people. So pursue potential, not problem. Number four, plan the best in the worst test. This is the worst test you can imagine. You're in a wilderness with over 5,000 people plus women and children. Some people reckon there was another at least 5,000 more, probably up to 20,000 people. But Jesus was planning the best in the worst test. He's saying, I'm preparing to feed them all. And there was baskets for the leftover. God finds a way for those who exercise their faith and who honor him, and of course are walking in his will, and trusting him. We're not doing our own thing. We're not living independent of God. We are walking in the will of God. We were in, Rwanda, uh, we were in Romania, and that's not a place I'd been before. We're invited by churches there. And Romania is kind of like Ireland, it's very traditional, and very very, even, I was asked to speak at the Pentecostal convention and they had 1500 leaders in the afternoon meeting and it was really like a Church of Ireland, real traditional but as the Holy Spirit began to move the ripples of the power got all over the place and people were lifting up their hands and weeping and God was melting hearts and renewing and in Romania we had outreach crusades in the big stadiums, thousands of people. And I preached the word and prayed for the sick. We walked off the stage to get in our Land Rover. And after we had just opened the door to get in, I heard a voice from the platform shouting, come back, come back. And so my interpreter, Romolo, he said, we have to go back. So we went back. And on the platform, there's a young boy, about seven, was he? Running up and down, running up and down. It looks what happened to this young boy when you prayed a few minutes ago. His legs that wouldn't work before, he couldn't walk. He's totally healed and he's running up and down the stage. The power of the word. <laughs> a man of 83 came up and he said, I, my hearing's been healed. And there was miracles happening. We didn't wait to hear the results. 
But I tell you, when the word is released in power, it brings change for the better. Increased miracles, increased revival, increased expectation. We need to expect far more than we are expecting. Somebody said, blessed are those who expect nothing, for they shall not be disappointed. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't go along with that. But we need to be planning the best in the worst test. Number five, almost three. Mind on the maximum. Put your mind on the maximum. Jesus had his mind on the maximum. Jesus didn't get into that argument, how are we going to feed them all with this little food? But Jesus said, settle the matter. said, make them sit down. We're going to feed them. Get your mind on the maximum, not the minimum. Second Corinthians 3, 5, our sufficiency is of God. We're not depending on ourselves. We're depending on the Lord. Philippians 2.5 reminds us we have the mind of Christ. So if we have the mind of Christ, we'll not be thinking on the minimum. We'll be thinking on the maximum. Amen. And God can change that family members that seem impossible. If we release them to him, we cannot change them ourselves. And sometimes even with family connections, we better just to leave them over to the Lord. Yes, speak to them when you can, but we've got to trust the Holy Spirit to bring the change. We cannot change them ourselves. I love what it says there in Deuteronomy 8.18. It is God who gives you power to get wealth, that he might establish you. God wants to prosper his people. So you'll have power to increase kingdom influence. So expect new creative ideas. He is a creative God. He gives you witty inventions. He gives you power to get wealth. So you will have his kingdom in mind. Not so we can squander it on ourselves. But we'll honor God to do his kingdom business. That is what he's about. So plan the best in the worst test. Number five, or sorry, number five is mind on the maximum. So get your mind on the maximum and you will see that happen. And number six is develop your seed, not your need. Some people talk, talk, talk about their needs all the time. But we need to develop the seed and not the need. If you talk about your need all the time, your need will get bigger. But if you talk about the seed of the word, it will get bigger. Amen? And so, we don't talk about the need as much. When we pray, we pray the word. We pray the promise is not the problem. And as we do, the seed will grow and bring about a mighty, mighty harvest every time. God wants us to be raised up in our life. There's two young in Northern Ireland, and they had both grown up in the same school, went abroad. One of them went abroad and struggled to make a living. The other one had become a very successful builder. And the, the, the brother or the friend who went abroad came back home because he was literally out of money. And he sent a message to his friend who was called Bob. And uh, he said, I wonder if you'd give me a job for a little while. I have no money. So Bob gave him a job. 
And he said, here's what I want you to do. And he gave him a plan and a specification for a house. He said, you can do this, build this house, and I'll allow you a certain amount in the budget to build it. And as he was considering it and he built it, he began to cut corners and use inferior material in the timber that couldn't be seen and use inferior material in the roof that couldn't be seen. And he thought, I'll save more money and still get the allowed budget. But when the thing was finished a year later, his friend, the builder, came to him and said, it looks good, well done. And he put his hand in his pocket and took out the keys and handed him the keys and said, it's all yours. It's my gift to you. So whatever you build into your life, it's all yours. Inferior materials never pay off. It's all yours. So may we be people who develop a seed of excellence and truth and faith. Number seven, position yourself for provision. And he made them sit down. And they were all filled and took up the baskets, 12, took up of the fragments, 12 baskets. So we need to gather up the fragments. There's potential that we've missed. Amen. There's more left over. Don't waste a thing. Let's increase the opportunity to reach as never before. Second Timothy 4, 4 verse 5 as it close. says, make full proof of your ministry. That's what Paul told Timothy. Make full proof of your ministry. Do the maximum. God will give the increase. We're in days of increase. Develop an atmosphere of increase for the love of God, for unity, for cooperation, for finances, for every area of our lives. And we become life givers that the world will be running to. And they say, how is this possible? You say, it's because of the blessing of the Lord upon my life. My eyes are lifted up onto the fields. They're white already to harvest. Let's not wait. We have the tools to do the job. We are life-giving leaders, everyone in this room. And you can make a difference. Because this is our day. And the time is short. God bless you. Thank you, Reverend. My, oh my. Well, let's stand up on our feet together. And we're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray and tell the Lord, help us to live and execute all that we have learned in this ministry. I begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for strength to be able to execute everything. Ask the Lord to give you the power, the strength to execute everything you have learned. To create atmosphere for increase. To be a life-given leader. A life-given leader that will affect many generations down line. You don't want to die and your work will die with you. You want to be a person when you die, your work continues to lead through other people. Lord, make me into a life-given leader. Empower me, oh God, to create the atmosphere for increase. Tell the Lord, change my perspective for life, my view. Help us, O oh God, 
that will not be hearers only, but be doers of this word. Father, we pray thee. We pray thee, O God, help us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' anointed name, we have prayed with thanksgiving. Lord, we have more than enough to chew. We have digested few. Enable us, O God, that as your son was speaking and you were instructing us, enable us as we leave this meeting to execute the instruction. Our life will never be the same. In Jesus' anointed name. Please, let's take a seat for a few minutes. We're going to go for our lunch break now. And we'll recognize that our time is being shifted because of circumstances. So from the time we go for break, it'll be one hour. We'll come back to finish our last hour. But there are a few things that uh, God has spoken through uh, Dr. Stewart today. I want us to uh, not, not miss, miss them. If you have been in this conference from Monday, you will recognize that it seems as if Dr. Stewart just picked things from each day and re-emphasizing it. Yesterday, I thought you were critical thinking. You heard from him. You don't look for faults. Jesus, Elisha never looked for the fault of the woman. The woman came to Elisha. Elisha was not inquiring about what brought you to this position. A critical thinker does not look for fault. But he reasons and he looks behind the veil. And he's always given solution. Another thing that he said, interestingly, is that, you know, while the people were, you know, with Jesus, all right, Jesus was thinking about how to meet up with all the needs of the people. You must be a minister that is consumed with the need of your people. That is the bedrock of prophetic. Because if you have a heart for everyone, you know, that God brought to you, you know, to be fulfilled. If you have a heart as a, as a minister, as a shepherd, to take care of the flock, then the Lord will give you resources, He will give you knowledge, He will give you insight, He will give you miracles will happen, you know, manifestation, deliverance will happen because of your heart. That's your heart of delivery. He also said something that, you know, um, uh, from this teaching that He told us, creating the atmosphere for increase. You understand that God cannot go beyond your limits. Jesus Christ was not thinking about those people just a little, you know, send them away to go and eat. He thought about what they would eat before they were hungry. Alright? And then, Jesus, he said that he did not feed the people. He gave it to his disciples. The disciples went and fed, fed the people. We understand that? As leaders, you must create others who can run with vision. You will never succeed if you are a lone ranger. There is something strong to that I picked up from him. Forgive everybody. <laughs> Every situation that God allowed man to do to you, it is God using those men as a tool to refine you. It may not look delicious. We may go down to the, below the graves by men. God used them. Even if it is the devil, God used the devil to bring us there. Because God wanted to bring out something better from us. Hallelujah. So even in your downtime, it says the best time 
to plan for good things is a time when you have nothing. Hallelujah, somebody. Turn your pain to, to gain. But we can continue to go on and on and on and on and on. I wrote so many things down that I'm going to fire up all my members. Immediately after anniversary, you know, I told you during the anniversary, when God speaks, I get the next direction for the church. The moment we finish anniversary, we start operations straight away. Everything God has spoken to me, chunk it into the people, mobilize them, move them, so that it will not go cold or wasted. All right? So that will be the joy of the Lord, that you came to a meeting and it changed your ministry. You came to a meeting and you took the effect. You can see the effects on your ministry. And I want us not to forget this too. As we go away, implementing the things we have had, remember the principle of primary governance. Set up procedure to always look at and, and evaluate your operation. Because you have many things that you have learned now. You go in and begin to operate them. But two months, take a pause, Selah. And check what you've done. Is it in line with what you intend to achieve? If not, cut and add here and there. Don't keep running for years without looking back. I would get that. That would mean that when we come back here next year, you can say to Dr. Stewart, I picked one thing from what you said last year. Look at the results. It also says something that, you know, Isaiah said the list of you shall be a thousand. Don't be little church minded. Be city and nation. You will get there. Across a vision I'm talking about. Have a vision according to God's provision. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit your planning to just what you are and what you have. You know, plan according to His sovereignty. And then you will manifestation. Hallelujah. I, I think uh, I can say that I did not regret bringing Dr. Cecil. We want him to, we want him to go and rest now so that he will be fire, fired up for tonight. Tonight is going to be a chart buster. I can hear you. I hope we are all here. Is anybody hungry? Sincerely. I think we are hungry. But hunger shouldn't make us not, not to speak. Or not to affirm the truth. Hallelujah. Were you blessed today at all? Come on, put your hands together for the Lord.